I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen. AM 1420, WBSM presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Can you tell it's been about a month since we've been on the air? Because it's like 1037 and we're just getting the show started due to technical issues. Which is always awesome. I don't think we're going to have Spooky TV. Is it? Is it working? Well, let me introduce you. Hello. Back on the program, the one, the only, the silent assassin, Matt Costa. I'm here. You are. Moniz isn't, Believe though. Believe it or not, I am here. I, I do have to ask you, is this, is this a one-time visit, or are you making a, a re- weekly return? Or uh, I'm going to try to pop in every once in a while. Check can out you do, one of you guys. Can you do me a favor? What's up? Can you be here next week? I'm going to try. Seventh anniversary. Is it? Already, yes. we may be working on a on a program, a topical program uh, that uh, that's a downloads folder. Well, <laughs> right on the air. Uh, we may be working on a, on a more topical program uh, if things come together. It, it's going to be a very important show. Uh, should should everything fall into place, but otherwise, the plan is to just kind of have a little seventh anniversary party for ourselves too, and reflect on some memories over the years. Uh, but uh, that will. Keep everybody posted on that on SpookySouthCoast.com. So it's great that the NFL playoffs are, you know, done on Saturdays. But now we get the Bruins to worry about. That's all right, though. They were over with plenty of time. Just we weren't ready. But uh, we've still got a great show planned for you. And you can watch along on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com for as long as our internet holds out. You can join in the chat room there as well. And, of course, uh, if you're new to the program, we talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night. And we podcast our show on iTunes and wherever podcasts are found. And you can also get the streaming audio uh, recording from YouTube as well. We post that up there, again, provided yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're we're pretty multimedia now. Yeah, kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah you should have been here in October when we were getting you know two hundred something thousand downloads of each show. That's outrageous. Right, we had over a million downloads just in October alone. Get out of here! I'm serious. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to get right into tonight's topic because we are running short of time already. Uh, it, if you've been watching pretty much any TV show over the last few weeks, you've been seeing the trailer for the film Warm Bodies that's coming out. And uh, it, it looks kind of quirky. It looks, a lot, it looks like a lot of fun. It's actually based on the novel Warm Bodies, which was written by our guest tonight. Isaac Marion was born near Seattle in 1981 and has lived in and around that city ever since. He began writing in high school and self-published three novels before finally breaking through with Warm Bodies. He currently divides his time between writing playing obscure instruments in obscure bands and exploring the country in a 1977 GMC motorhome named Baleen. And anybody that can play obscure instruments is cool with us. I mean, we're big fans of the, uh, you know, the, oh, yeah. what's the, what's the, what, the theremin that you always yep. wanted to I, get? I never built one, but I, I've always wanted to. And uh, you're also, we, we also had a, a little collection of crazy instruments there for a while. We had the uh, pan flute and all that kind of stuff. So good evening, Isaac. Uh, thank you for joining us. Good evening. Thanks. What's the most obscure instrument that you play? Well, theremin is is one of them, but it's nice. You know, not it's fairly well known these days, so it's probably not as obscure as this other thing I just got called the Theravox ET4, which is loosely based on the Andes Martineau. It has kind of a sliding ring that you use to control the pitch. Nice. Fairly, uh, maybe even well, not quite as eccentric as the theremin. It's hard to hard to beat that, but. 
not and much more playable. Do, do you find there's a lot more call for the obscure instruments from the obscure bands, not so much from the mainstream stuff? Well, that's probably true. They're mostly my obscure bands, so it's uh, obscure in the sense that no one knows about them, not in the sense that that they're especially exotic. Well, I mean, now that the Beach Boys broke up again, you know, when Mike Love goes out on tour with his version of the Beach Boys, they might need a theremin player for good vibrations. Yeah, yeah actually, the the Theravox thing that I got is is actually what they used um, on that on Good Vibrations or an early version of of this concept. So a lot of people think it was an, a theremin. But. Wow. I learned something new on this program. That's why I do it. All right, we're well, talk about instruments. <laughs> I know. Hey, let's talk about zombies. But before that, yeah. so uh, the first time that you were on the program last year, I was actually out of the studio. I was covering the Celtics uh, from my day slash night job, so I didn't get the chance to speak with you then. And even then, there was already a buzz around warm bodies, and now it's just exploded with the with the film on the verge of coming out. Now, I mean, things must be getting crazy for you. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly when, when we did our last interview, but I think it was before anyone knew that the movie was was in existence. So, mm-hmm. um, the book never really got very heavy marketing for that reason, more or less. They knew that this would take care of it sooner or later. So, uh, so, so yeah, it, it was a very different scene. So how long was it after the book came out that you were approached uh, about it being a movie, or, did, or was it trying to be sold you know, kind of hand-in-hand with, with the idea that it would make a great film? It it didn't happen. Um, it, they, the two things kind of happened separately, but simultaneously, more or less. They, the book was sort of being passed around in both literary and film circles, and there's kind of a lot of crossover there, and it just uh, kind of got into my agent's hands and this producer's hands at the same time, more or less. And so they, the, the producer was working on getting a, a film deal for it at the same time that the agent was working on book deal so yeah they it was it was a, it was a very strange kind of backwards process in that there was actually a, a a film studio on board slightly before there was a publisher well when i first heard about the the concept of the book uh when we were planning on having you on the first time which i think was last may and when chris our our show's booker chris balzano he's our content director and when he had told me kind of the gist of, of what the book was about, I, I was kind of scratching my head a little bit because I'm thinking uh, a zombie book from a zombie perspective, I mean, how much can there really be, <laughs> you know, going on in the brain of a zombie? And right from the beginning of this book, uh, we realized that, you know, this is a very, you know, pardon the pun here, fleshed out character. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of good puns to make. Uh, <laughs> we, my agent and I, editor, editor and I have been trying to refrain for, for years now, but they just keep coming out. You can't keep a good pun down. That's the problem. No. No. Well, I, I mean, when did the inspiration first strike you to, to use a, a zombie as basically uh, almost a metaphor for where society is going today? Well, it started out kind of just as a, a, a little throwaway idea. I just wrote a, a really short story based off the concept. Uh, it was just like seven pages long and um, was kind of just a, a, a brief little vignette about this zombie talking about his life after the apocalypse. And I just kind of, with that, the initial idea just, just kind of occurred to me that, oh, this might be interesting to see what would come out of me if I, if I you know, put myself in, the, in this perspective and just start writing and wrote this really short little story that kind of went in a different direction than the book did, but still established some of the ideas of like how, what sort of things a zombie might think about. And 
and uh, it, it was kind of just a gradual process from there of, of expanding the idea and then just continuing to just, I, I guess I, I do a lot of stories that are from perspectives of, of strange people and creatures and things, and I, I just kind of dive into it and start imagining scenarios from that point of view, and then the, the, the results come out of it. So as I was doing that, um, and as I was figuring out the, what, what the story was going to be, it, it sort of took me by surprise as to how many parallels there were between the traditional zombie mythos and like how they function and uh, a lot, how a lot of people in the real world function, including myself at the time, which I was kind of trying to go through my own little transformation. So ended up becoming a fairly personal story, surprisingly. Well, I think the good thing about it, though, is that you you do kind of pay uh, homage to a lot of those zombie beliefs, but at the same time, you, you tear apart a lot of them, too, because, I, I mean, a lot of these constructs that we have for the modern-day approach to zombies, we, we probably can thank, you know, Roger Corman for more than anything, because they're more grounded in the later half of the 20th century belief of zombies than they may be in the in the voodoo rituals and, and, and the zombies that first burst onto the scene in 1931. Right. Yeah, there's been so many different versions of them, and every time, I mean, I guess when they first came onto the scene, there wasn't really this rabid uh, fan base to, sort of insisting on what they have to be and how they work and everything. It, at this point... There, there are definitely some purists who insist that here's how a zombie works, here's where they come from, and, and no other options are possible. And I always just point to these other versions. You know, no, but no one's making movies or comics or anything about about uh, you know the Haitian voodoo zombies anymore. And that's that's where it started. And then there was you know the space radiation from Night of the Living Dead, and, and just all these different versions that they take. So I, rather than than pick one of those, I'd kind of just combined them all and and since the narrator doesn't really have any memory doesn't know where he is or where he came from it 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 made sense that he would just kind of have a few vague theories as to what what's going on but he doesn't really spend a lot of time thinking about it because at the point the story starts this has been the reality for for many years already so they're not really worried about talking about how it happened well, I think there's a a great parallel too between, uh, you, you know, today's society being zombies, and there's a, there's a scene in the in the trailer uh, that that I think basically captures a lot of the tone of what you're trying to say in those early parts of the book uh, when they kind of do a, a a cutaway from the way the zombies look in their current state current state roaming around the airport to how they would have looked before uh, with with the the devices and and the laptops and the tablets and everything that they've got their faces stuck into. Uh, I mean, were you consciously thinking of that in the back of your mind as you're creating these characters about the idea that they, they kind of already were slaves to that type of grind, that mental grind even before? Yeah, definitely. That, that sort of one of the major themes is that there actually isn't that much difference between the, the human society in this world and, and the, the zombie society and that it's a lot of, a lot of those trends and, and traits that sort of lead to this this plague. Um, the, you know, he talks about how they all sort of rot at different rates. Some of them are trying hard to not let it happen, and they tend to stay fresh longer than the other ones just rot into skeletons fairly quickly. And it has a lot to do with their, their internal state and kind of how 
how much uh, fire they have inside. So a lot of the, the human survivors are pretty much on the edge of, of uh, being zombies without technically having the, the plague yet. And when you're uh, creating these characters and, and you're trying to give them depth and you're trying to give them life, uh, it's it's probably easy to fall into the mold of, of a zombie being a villain. Uh, I mean, how hard was it to shake off kind of those preconceived notions of, of what these creatures needed to be in order to convey uh, the type of, uh, of narrative that you were trying to with them? I think the hard part was trying to do that without or while still being true to what, what that mythos is, because I didn't want to sanitize it and just make, make R the, the main character, make him just a you know, handsome, nice guy who doesn't behave like a zombie, and, because that would be, you know, if, it's not, if he's not doing those things, then it could be any, any given monster, and just make him nice. It's not really uh, it's not fair to, to the concept. So the hard part was trying to make him a sympathetic character uh, while still following the rules of, of what he has to do to, to be alive and kind of not trying to gloss over the fact that he kills people on a regular basis and, and is a pretty disgusting creature. Well, but, I mean, even though he, he does do that, I mean, it, and, and it mentions it in the trailer, uh, of course, so I'm not really spoiling anything for, for people who haven't read the book, but, you know, he, he's conflicted about it. He's not, yeah. he's not happy that he has to do it. Right. But he's not, for however long he's been in this state, he's kind of, he's conflicted, but, but very apathetic. At the beginning of the story, in, in the book at least, it, it's, uh, he's kind of vaguely aware that this is not a great situation, that he'd like to, to be different, but he's never really tried in, uh, to, to get out of it because he just is resigned to that being the state of things. And he doesn't really want to kill people, but he knows he has to, so he just keeps doing it. Or he assumes that he has to. And there is more of a, a cerebral quality to these zombies than there has been in those type of characters in the past because normally we assume that zombies are, are kind of motivated by uh, a basic guttural instinct to feed and that they just maybe chose brains because it's, you know, the, the best part. Uh, but, you know, your zombies actually have a reason for, for craving brains. Yeah, they... Um they, when they eat the brains, they get sort of flashbacks of those, that person's life and relive some of the, the more intense memories of that person's life and feel all the same things. So it becomes sort of like a drug to them where they get these little, little flashes of what it's like to be human again um, and feel strong emotions and, and pleasure and, and things that they don't have anymore. And so they they crave that even more so than just the the basic life energy of the the bodies themselves because it that stuff you know keeps them functioning but the brain is sort of like a little bit of a um, a finer finer pleasures in life that they get to enjoy for a, f- a few minutes and that's what I thought was kind of a an interesting and unique twist because uh, they it, in order to crave that and to have that experience you know they've been able to hold on to whatever little bit of their humanity there is in order to to crave that return to it. So they're not just mindless, lifeless creatures. Uh, you, you know, they actually have this. And, and of course, I don't want to, you know, start asking, you know, picking apart 
all your theories and asking you, you know, what you think was the cause of this because, you know, like you said, you're working on a sequel. <laughs> so yeah. we'll leave some of that open. But uh, the fact that they do crave that return to humanity, uh, I, I think, is, is interesting because almost from the beginning, you can feel sympathetic toward them uh, in, instead of just feeling as them being horrific creatures. Yeah, I think they're, some of them are, are more have more of that remaining than others. There's some that are pretty far gone, and there's some sort of an in-between where they, they do enjoy those pleasures, but it's in a sort of a very basic way, like our friend at, at the beginning is, is not as not as evolved as him. He you know, it likes eating the brains of simple, like, military grunts who don't really have much beyond just, you know, shooting things and having sex, and that's that's what he's into. R likes more of the, the sophisticated uh, minds that he can get a hold of. So there's kind of different levels of, of that humanity. But I think that the idea is that all of them, at least on some level, if if they're not actually longing to be human again, they at least miss those those feelings. I mean, none of them are capable. They they don't they don't get any of the pleasures of life. They can't they can't have sex. They can't eat food they don't there's really nothing that they enjoy it's only just neutral or they're in pain and hungry so those are that's as far as they can get it's just kind of a a neutral feeling so when they get those little flashbacks of strong memories from someone's life it's sort of like a like a brief high and then and then they come back to normal and sort of resume what they how they felt well, you mentioned uh, you know not being able to have sex, but uh, it's not for a lack of trying. Uh, yeah. from, from the way that you describe it in the book, and I was I, at first I was like, gee, that that kind of seems out of place with the zombie mythology, and it, and it seems kind of strange. And and uh, to me, it was kind of off putting to have it in there at first. But then I I, I realized like it it's also allegorical to how a lot of people probably view sex, you know, where it's just two bodies rubbing up against each other type yeah. of thing. And yeah, that was kind of the idea there. I don't know, I was going to ask you if that was, you know, conscious or, or subconscious. And if, if it was conscious, you know, how do your girlfriends feel about that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, um, it, it was definitely conscious. And that's sort of one of the a recurring theme is that the, what the zombies do, they they do things still. They they sort of mindlessly repeat these these functions from, from human life. Like they they get, they assign each other mates and they they uh you know just kind of go through the motions of these active they they have church where they just stand there and and make noise but nothing actually happens but all these all these kind of familiar rituals of of human life they continue to do them just sort of as like a, a reflex action but they don't know what they mean or why they're doing it and sex is one of those things where they're they're just doing it because it's instinctual but they they don't really get any pleasure out of it and I think all those things are true of, of a lot of humans. Well, we've only got a few minutes here before we have to take a break for the network news, but when we come back on the other side of it, I want to get more into, uh, first of all, the process of turning the book uh, in, into a film and, and some of the, the differences and similarities uh, between the two storytelling mediums. And uh, I also want to talk with you a bit about the zombie culture that we're in these days because it seems like you know we've gone through the vampire phase and we're coming out of it now and and now the zombies are hot and that's going to be uh you know milk dry for a little while and then they'll probably move on to the next weird supernatural creature that they go yeah who knows what'll be next 
<laughs> if I knew, we'd be uh, we wouldn't be talking. We'd both be writing. <laughs> but uh, one one question I will ask you uh, before we take the break is, uh, I mean, originally you started out publishing self publishing uh, your own books, but this book, Warm Bodies, is available everywhere, right? Yeah, it is now. I, I, I briefly self-published it before, uh, kind of just the moment I finished writing it, I printed out a few hundred copies, but uh, it was never, I, it was always with the intent of trying to pursue a traditional publisher. So there are there were a few hundred copies out there in the year or so that it took to get everything put together with the publisher. But yeah, this is this is a, a standard um, publishing scenario. And, and of course, your website is uh, IsaacMarion.com. Uh, and you're also on Twitter at Isaac in Space, and and people can follow along with uh, your different social media feeds, and, and it seems like you're posting something pretty much every day. Yeah, I stay I stay fairly active on on Twitter, and I've got you know, a t- Tumblr blog for f- photography that I do, and kind of I dabble a little bit in in most of the networks, but but Twitter is probably my flagship network. And it seems like uh, you know you've got your hand in a number of different projects in addition to to this book and, and the movie coming out. Um, what, which ones are you referring to? Well, just between your music and and oh, you, yeah. you seem to have a an avid interest in photography and 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 the storytelling that comes with that as well. Yeah, I do. Uh, I do a lot of different things. Kind of some of them are more like hobbies, and and I mean, right now writing is is the only thing that is serious on, on my plate. I do music on the side a little bit. I used to do uh painting and and would like to kind of get back into that but but yeah there's a lot of a lot of uh crossover in a lot of those mediums like in my photography page a lot of the photos are sort of slideshows that have stories blended into them and um various different things that I do kind of all involve writing in some way or another so check it all out during the news break here. Just go to IsaacMarion.com or go to SpookySouthCoast.com because we have it linked up right there on the front page. And you can also check out the trailer there both for the book and for the film. We're going to take a break for the news. We'll be right back on Spooky South Coast. The supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, does it? AM 1420 WBSL presents Spooky South Ghost with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Welcome back. Our number two is Spooky South Coast, Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin, Matt Costa. Science advisor Matt Moniz is not here, but we have the silent assassin in studio. I am and, here. And contrary to popular belief, you were not fired. <laughs> no. You did not quit. You can't get fired if you don't get paid. Right, exactly. <laughs> you were just uh, otherwise incapacitated. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Battling with addiction. <laughs> addiction to work uh yeah, work and monsters monsters yeah the energy drink oh yeah. yes yeah it was it's become a problem for kids <laughs> i don't know if you heard like kids have been hospitalized yeah, they, they, they've been dying left and right and right things like that as he, you're rocking a monster sweatshirt yeah that's there. how much i was addicted i got <laughs> that they just gave me stuff <laughs> it's like you got monster miles i do have you seen my backpack no you have a monster, have a monster backpack, backpack too. too this is how many it's so many i'm so embarrassed Really? So you, you're like part of like the monster country store? 
Um, you get like the catalog? No, they just have my address. When do you get in the canoe? It's uh, actually Harrier Jet. They're gonna send. <laughs> They're just gonna drop it off. <laughs> the old Pepsi Harrier Jet. <laughs> yeah, nobody got it, so they so, so they, they just put a monster. They logo just gave on. it to a monster. Yeah. Uh, remember, remember when we were gonna collect Marlboro Miles to try to get the canoe? I did for a while. I didn't even smoke. I just killed. Yeah, we just used to pick them up off the ground. Yeah. Uh, well, you know the monster stuff. It fits in great with tonight's show because we're talking about zombies with our guest Isaac Marion. Uh, we're gonna get right back into the discussion, uh, but before we do, I just have a, a couple of notes that I want to make quick. Quick brief announcements about uh, the first, of course, is that uh, we do have a couple of friends of the program who are currently hospitalized. We want to send out well wishes and have everybody send out their thoughts and prayers. Uh, Cody Ray uh, Davians, who debuted his show uh, Supernatural Reality on Spooky TV just a couple of weeks ago, uh, he took a turn for the worse uh, in his battle uh, with leukemia. So he's back in the hospital and uh, undergoing intensive chemo, and he's waiting on a bone marrow transplant. As, and uh, normally I wouldn't give away people's medical information, but it's been out there on his public page on Facebook and everything. So, uh, and, and he's been very public with his fight against cancer. So uh, all of our thoughts and prayers go out to Cody. Uh, hopefully he's listening tonight and uh, get well soon, my friend. And we will have Supernatural Reality back on the air on Spooky TV uh, as soon as he comes out of this and he's ready and healthy and ready to go because he will beat this. And uh, also, thoughts and prayers go out to our friend, uh, psychic Tiffany Johnson, uh, from out there in Minnesota who suffered a stroke yesterday and uh, is currently in intensive care. So hopefully uh, she recovers as well. She was undergoing surgery this afternoon, and, and uh, she was paralyzed on half, half of her body. So hopefully she comes out of that uh, fully healthy and, and, and ready to go because she's one of the, the nicest people in the world, and she always puts out positive energy into the world and and we should all send some back to her uh, while she's trying to heal up in the hospital out there in Minnesota. And then for for those of you who are unfamiliar, we haven't really had a chance to talk about this much uh, on the air because we haven't been on the air that much, but our friend Jeff Belanger, a a good friend of the show, uh, he's been a very, uh, a founding member and very active with the Newtown Memorial Fund because Jeff is a Newtown, Connecticut native. So uh, we had uh, some discussions over the past few weeks about, you know, what we can do here at Spooky South Coast to kind of help. And and normally this is the time of year when we ask people to make donations for our show uh, to help us keep going for the new year because, you know, we have all the streaming costs and the hip cast costs that we use for podcasting and all the different fees associated with producing the show because, like Matt said, we don't get paid for it. Uh, So we have to kind of do what we can through the donations of our grateful listeners. But this year, please, instead, if you could give to the Newtown Memorial Fund, uh, that would be much, much better uh, if you could do that. Their goal is $26 million. It's a million dollars for every victim. Uh, But we do want to let you know that they do have an event coming up uh, here uh, in the southeast of Massachusetts area. That'll be January 24th. It's coming Thursday at 630. Uh, It'll be happening at the Met at 1005 Main Street in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. It's a night for Newtown featuring the band The Closers. The cost to enter uh, this event is only $10, so you get a a great night with some great people and some great music, and all the proceeds go to the Newtown Memorial Fund. So you can just go to newtownmemorialfund.org for more information, or you can call the Met 401 729 one zero zero five again that's this thursday night a night for newtown featuring the closers at the met in Pawtucket, rhode island i'm going to hopefully try and make it out there uh it depends on you know hopefully the patriots can win and then i get a little time off 
before the Super Bowl. So, But uh, definitely get out there and support the Newtown Memorial Fund. And if you can't, get out there and make it out there. Just go to NewtownMemorialFund.org, and you can donate right on the page. All right, well, let's get right back into the discussion with Isaac Marion, the author of Warm Bodies. And, Isaac, I'm always fascinated as as a writer myself, not not the creative kind like yourself. I I have to write nonfiction and, and sports because that's what they pay me for. But uh, I'm fascinated with the process of how you can convert your vision from the written word into visual and not drive yourself crazy. I mean, what's it like to hand over your, your work to somebody else and, and give them control of that vision? Or, you know, were you heavily involved uh, with the process of the filming? I was... I was involved in, in more of a consultant kind of role. Like I didn't co-write the script or anything, but, but I did get to read a couple drafts of it and give some feedback. And was like during the in the early early stages of the writing process, and when they were all figuring out kind of how it was going to work, um, they would call me every so often and, and have these little uh, conference calls to talk about how they were trying to figure out how to visualize something, or like you know, the, Jonathan Levine, the director, would would call me to when he was stuck with with a, the story thing or trying to figure out what what my intent was with something so they they definitely seemed to be interested in what what I thought but it wasn't uh, it wasn't like a I wouldn't call it collaborative it was more like they would ask me about things but I don't know if I had any direct control over how it happened so you um, think there might have been humor in you really like ah first, well, first time on yeah it it could I, I thought that could have been the case but it seems like they went above and beyond to to uh, like if they were just humoring me they probably would have just you know had lunch with me and right talked me up a bit and and then uh and then left it alone but they uh at, at least a few of the the notes that i suggested were actually done in the film so i don't know if it was directly from my suggestion or other people saw it too but it seems like they were genuinely interested in w- what i thought well it, it's it's really interesting when you see the different information out there about the film on on the internet uh because some websites and, and some previews are listing it as being a a drama or a thriller and, and others are listing it as being a comedy and i think the the fact first of all that it's about zombies is kind of tainting some people's uh, approach to it to beginning but how would you describe the film uh in terms of of, of what type of a genre it would fit into yeah it's kind of a uh... Jonathan Levine has sort of made his whole career off of doing these movies that are pretty hard to classify between comedy and drama. Like his last one, 50-50, was uh, appropriate to the title, probably one of the most evenly split in, in terms of tone that I've ever seen. It was, you know, within, the same, within five minutes, I'd go from literally crying over what's happened to laughing hysterically, and it just kind of goes back and forth like that, which is a really tricky balancing act to pull off, and I think it was perfect that they chose him for this because the book is kind of the same same balance where it goes from kind of absurd comedy in one moment to philosophical musings in the next one and and so it is it's hard to to classify and i think the the movie is probably safer to call it's it's more of a comedy than the book is Mm -hmm. but i don't think i would call it a comedy in itself because you don't usually have a lot of sincere emotion happening in a straight-up comedy, and this does kind of go back and forth between that absurdity and, and, the, and the moments that you're meant to take seriously and, and are you know, fairly, fairly moving at times. So I think 
people are having a hard time of categorizing it, which, and then you add the, the zombie element into it, it makes it even more confusing because not only is it maybe a comedy, maybe a drama, but is it also horror? I, I, no one knows what to, what to make of it. Well, I mean, at least from a slight horror perspective, the, the bonies look awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's some de- some genuinely scary moments in it, I would say. And it kind of, it just sort of does it all. And whether it does it successfully is, is up to the viewer, but I think it does. So when they're putting the, the, the casting together and you're involved with it in, in your consultant role and uh, you're, you're seeing things start to come together, I mean, what, what's going through your mind when they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we, uh, we got John Malkovich to be in your movie? <laughs> That was a, a pretty big moment. I mean, they'd been telling me all along that they were going to go for someone kind of of that caliber, so it wasn't a, a total shock. I knew they were going to try to get you know an, a major actor to play the play that character. So that was exciting at the beginning. But you know, they talked to about a few different people and, and um, wasn't sure who it was going to be. But but still, the fact that they actually got him on board was kind of it was definitely a, a moment where I felt like this is really happening. Like this is going to be a, a real movie that that they're going to promote and people will care about at least to some extent. So that was exciting. And, and the uh, thing that I immediately noticed the first, cause I, I never saw the trailer until after I uh, read the book recently. Uh, I read the book and, and immediately after that, I went and checked out the trailer cause I didn't kind of want the movie version to taint how the characters would appear in my mind as I'm reading it. And your R is uh, dressed a little bit more dapper than the one in the film. The one in the film's, you know, in, in, in the hoodie that we see, but yours is a uh, more of a shirt and tie kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there were a lot of kind of aesthetic differences like that that um, just are sort of inevitable to the the adaptation process. I think I was actually pretty surprised myself to find out how many people noticed that. I mean, usually when it comes to describing characters, people don't really they just whatever they want them to look like in their head and it doesn't really matter how how the author describes it sometimes but i heard from a lot of people wondering sort of outraged that that was changed and i thought that was funny that of all the things that (laughs) could possibly be warped and and destroyed in an annotation that it was the clothes that that really uh bothered people but but yeah i mean there's there's a lot of things like that that are going to happen and and that stuff like that doesn't bother me too much i mean it Nicholas Holt looks a lot like how I imagined him physically anyway, so it doesn't doesn't and kill me that they changed his clothes. Is, is it just me, or does he look like a young Tom Cruise, too? Yeah, I can see that. He, he definitely, I, like I'm watching, and I know it, this is about zombies, but I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, like, that's like young Tom Cruise playing a young Lestat. So it was kind of <laughs> uh, interesting like that. But And I think one of the things that is a, kind of a misconception out there, too, is People look at it on the surface and they see the way that Nicholas Holt looks in the trailer and they see uh, on the book, you know, praise from Stephanie Meyer and and they see that this is a love story between a, a zombie and a human being and and a zombie's desire to find his humanity again. And I think people are looking at this as, as zombie twilight. And I think that yeah. that's definitely short, short selling the story and, and the film. Yeah, it, it's been kind of an awkward relationship with that from from the beginning because you don't strike me as a guy that likes twilight very much well i i haven't read it i mean it's certainly not um aimed at at me as as an audience i would say like you're not you're not waiting in line at midnight for breaking dawn part two is what i'm saying No, (laughs) but it's you know i 
I, I, the, I think the comparison is inevitable just with all the all those surfacey things you just mentioned. I mean, it's the same movie studio. It's on the very surface, it's a similar premise, and um, and you know, the, having the the blurb from Stephanie Meyer on the cover certainly sends people in that direction. It so I can understand where that comes from. It, it I do wish that people weren't quite so eager just to to slap a label on stories and to say, oh, this is this with right. this or this meets this. It's I've I've yet to hear anybody who has actually read the book who thinks it reminds them of Twilight. It's just the, on the very superficial level, undead couple is all they see, and that like, what's the most famous undead human couple currently? I mean, it's Twilight. Before that, there was you know Frankenstein or whatever Dracula, various versions of it through time. But but yeah, that comparison happens, and I, I just. My only wish is that people would give it a chance, and because it's actually a very different thing, as as you as you said. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was different to me too in in the casting from the way that I envisioned the book as I read it was was the casting of M, uh, and I was I was just picturing like a bigger, brawnier type of uh, character. But you, you were lucky enough to get yeah. Rob Corddry to play the character in the film, and I, I'm just wondering, like, if there's anybody that can pull off, you know, having Eating up the screen without having a lot of dialogue it would have to be him. Yeah, I think I think he was well cast, even though he doesn't. You know, he, they're both bald, but other than that, they're very different. I I certainly understand that because in the book, you know, he's described as being six five and hundreds of pounds, like this, basically a giant kind of guy. And to find someone who fits that physically, who's also the right fit personality-wise and acting style, and also you know fits all their other criteria of of star level and all that would be pretty specific uh, casting call i think that that rob cordry is uh, overlooking the 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 physical differences which really aren't important to the character it's not like sure. the fact that he's tall is is uh goes back to his childhood or anything it's just it's kind of just a, a choice but uh the way that he portrays him i think is is pretty spot on i just i think that he's Great. He's one of those few actors too that can can pull off, you know, conveying a true general, whether it be a, a quick laugh or, or any kind of emotion w- with facial expressions. And I think that that's one. I watched the first four minutes, of course, because Fandango has that uh, uh, ability to to see that on on the your YouTube page, and you can just kind of tell that scene where where M and R are having that conversation without saying anything. <laughs> you know, you yeah. you can tell that he was the perfect guy to kind of pull that off. Yeah, and he's kind of a it's it's kind of a unique character in this because he's he's presented as sort of the the comic relief, the best friend character, but he actually has sort of his own his own uh, development arc, and there's scenes with him by himself where Nicholas Holt's not there, where that are actually kind of emotional. So it's it's cool to see uh, somebody not just be totally relegated to the comic relief and get to to be a, a real character as well. Now, in the book, of course, you don't really delve into the backstory of these characters because they don't know what their own backstory is. Right. Uh, was that something that when, when the film is coming together, is that something that they wanted to present in the movie? Do they present it in the movie? Or do they kind of you know leave people wondering just as you did with the book? There was some discussion of that, but, but in the end, I mean, how, how could you create a whole backstory for these characters? If, and if it's – I think – there wouldn't be a point in creating it for for this story. I mean, it it may become more relevant in the sequel that I'm writing, but for for this as a self-contained story, it would be kind of a waste of time to 
to focus on who they were before because it's all about them starting at this from this blank slate where they don't know anything and they don't have any any identity and then sort of building an identity as as a as a new human so you know who whatever they they had before that isn't really isn't uh, relevant to the story well and you you write about some of your influences uh in in your blog and in other uh areas uh, other areas of your website and, and your your social media feeds and uh, I, I can imagine you know that uh, when you're putting together this story as a young writer, you want to be able to make a living doing this, but it seems like you have a, a pretty good vision of, of how you want your work to be. And then it's not necessarily a, a commercial one. So when you're going into this as the artist that you are, and as the writer that you are uh, going into this process of seeing this book turn into a movie, uh, are there points when people, and I'm not saying necessarily the, the director or the writers uh, that worked on it, but you know, the studio execs, those type of people, uh, is there times when you're kind of rolling your eyes when they're like, oh, you know, let's we want to make sure that it's just like Walking Dead because people are really into Walking Dead. You know, is there times when people are bringing up some of these other uh, parts of zombie culture that you just have you kind of groaning like you were a zombie yourself? Well, I wasn't really involved. I mean, I, I, I wasn't there for any of these backroom meetings where they, they discussed their, uh, their marketing plans or anything. So mm-hmm. my only exposure to that is just seeing how it plays out and you know, there's been moments here and there where I, I'm kind of grinning and burying it and just understanding because right. I, I, I know what they're going for with with the whole the audience and the the, the marketing of this and and to, to a somewhat lesser extent the movie itself because I think the the marketing is skewing a little bit more lowbrow than the movie actually is it sort of will catch some people by surprise I think when they go see it but um, but yeah I mean the whole thing has been a strange experience for me in that the stuff that I normally write is is not as pulpy as this. I mean, I, it's the first time I've ever written about a no well-known monster or anything like that. Usually the stuff is, you know, it's not like super, super literary, cerebral stuff, but it's, it, I mean, it all has some some element of, of the paranormal in it, or at least the surreal, but I've never really written something that that's quite this this uh, clearly attached to a, a pop culture phenomenon, and so it was sort of a, a departure for my style in general. And then to have that departure be the thing that is now defining my whole career and <laughs> yeah. pretty much my whole life at this point is is a bit strange. And to see some of the the avenues that it goes into and the 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 people that are talking about it and the way it's being advertised and just kind of have to have to just kind of sit back and, and laugh at the whole thing because if I would have imagined something I'd written, you know, having shirts in Hot Topic right, based on something I'd written would, would never have occurred to me. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, as, as, as a writer, uh, you know, you never expect that Hot Topic is going to carry a line of products based on, right. on your vision. I mean, that's something that, you know, very few uh, any author could really claim, uh, maybe with the exception of, you know, Stephanie Meyer. Yeah. It, it that was definitely surprising to me. I mean, it's been a slow uh, process of acclimating to the, the the difference between how I perceive my my career path and and the way that it's going. <laughs> but uh, as far as like how it's perceived publicly and and uh, but so it's you know if I if I suddenly showed up now, uh, I mean if my two years old self when I was just writing this book, had seen it now without any warning, I'd probably be really confused and possibly terrified. But uh, it's been a slow process of 
just sort of accepting that this this is what it is and afterwards I'll have my opportunity to do all my weird intellectual stuff. Well, but then do do you worry though with this uh you know being a a book and a film and then of course the sequel uh, being both a book and probably a film as well, if this one's successful, do you worry about being pigeonholed as as the guy that writes the zombie stuff? Yeah, I've thought about that. I'm I'm not really sure how it works with with writing. I mean, I know with like as an actor getting typecast, it happens because they will only want to cast you in in those movies. But as a writer, I'm the one creating the stories, so it's not like they're going to offer me. A role. It's I'm creating the role, so I don't really know what would happen. I mean, if 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 someone gets really well known for a certain type of book and they suddenly write a very different one, if they're successful already, it's hard to imagine them to say no. We don't want to publish it because you know you're you're a famous writer already, so mm-hmm. they have kind of have to do it. It seems like whether whether it fits the mold or not. So that's what I'm hoping is the case. I'm hoping I'm, that's I'm not being a naive in that regard. Well, speaking of being an actor, you didn't get the opportunity to play like a background zombie. I did. You it's, did. Yeah, it's uh, very hard to see. It's very, very background, but um, I can I can recognize myself. <laughs> but it's like it's not even quite in focus. It's but I am the only guy walking by in the background. So the scene where they walk through the metal detectors in the airport is the guy, the blurry shape going through the background is me. And that that actually made me laugh in the trailer how he, he uh, R walks through the metal detector and the the zombie guard is just standing there waving the the, yeah. the thing over everybody. Yeah, they 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 captured that that idea of the of the of them just sort of repeating the their their functions in life without really having any reason to do it anymore. I, I know a lot of TSA agents that are alive that look just like that doing the same right. thing. So, uh, what what do you think it is though about? I mean, I know that. The vampire, of course, has always been a romanticized figure. Uh, so we've always been able to identify with the vampires in our uh, literature and in our film and our, our entertainment. And I think werewolves are also something that goes through its cycles, no pun intended there, because they are characteristic of, of the awkwardness that we feel in our own change in metamorphosis as people. But what is it about zombies that have made them so popular all of a sudden? Yeah, it's a it's a tough question. I mean, they've they've always been around. I mean, since the I guess since the um, 60s, they've been a, at least a, a known figure in pop culture. But it does seem like there was a, a resurgence recently. I, it's hard to say. I mean, I think there's the the reasons that I'm interested in them are not the same as as what most people are interested in them. Because to me, I I'm only interested in in them. In the way that I wrote them, as as you know, studies of, of humanity and sort of that that I'm always been fascinated by what what they are and like what's going on with the zombies themselves. Most most traditional zombie fiction is not really interested in that. They just are used as props and they mm-hmm. get mowed down and uh, don't. It's more about the humans and, and conflicts between the humans and the zombies are more of like sort of a just a natural force of destruction. So. As to that, I don't, I don't, can't say I understand the the fascination. I think, as a, as a creature that sort of represents death in a, in a, in a very personified form, I think it's really interesting. But I don't often see that being explored. So, it it 
part of it could be, I mean, they, they tend to go hand-in-hand with apocalypse scenarios, which are fascinating kind of for their own reasons, and I think maybe that might be a big part of it. Most most uh, zombie movies you see nowadays also have an apocalypse or post-apocalypse, which I, I think I understand why that's interesting, but that's a whole other topic. Well, then I have to say as somebody who works in the paranormal field myself and, and, and talks about this these type of things uh, quite a bit here on our program and, and yourself being somebody who wrote a book about zombies, are, are you kind of sick of hearing the term zombie apocalypse? Cause I know I am. <laughs> I'm kind of, though even the word zombie itself is, <laughs> is, uh, I don't know the whole, the whole thing. I mean, I, even before I wrote this book, I felt like it was a bit played out and that's sort of why the book is somewhat a satire of, of the genre at the same time as being in it because I've, I've wasn't trying to like contribute to to the genre it was more of a of a, a play on the genre so yeah i think i don't know if, if another standard uh standard zombies kill everyone shoot them all thing comes out i i, I just i think it's time for a new thing a well new, that's that's coming with oh well, yeah that's coming this summer with we'll name any names yeah and then uh i think uh i thought i heard there was a, a film adaptation of uh Stephen King's cell coming down the pike at some point too. Oh really? Which I have to say is uh if there's a if 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 there's a um a, a Mount Everest or, or a Mount Rushmore even of Stephen King books, then I think Cell would be the toilet paper in the bathroom of the park at the bottom of it. <laughs> Wasn't that one was that the one that was just an e book? No, or actually this this was a real published book and, okay. and people bought it by the millions and cell phones make turn people into right. zombies. That's right. the one. And I, I mean don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a huge Stephen King fan. I love almost everything the guy writes, but uh his foray into the zombie literature, not so good. I'm sure I'd like yeah. to take that one back. <laughs> so now of course we, we mentioned the the idea of the sequel and you have to be careful though, I'm sure as a writer, because you were purposely not putting things into the first book, such as, uh, you know, you don't tell the story of, of what happened, of how they got to be that way, and you, you don't even share, uh, I don't think I'm giving away too much here, you don't even share R's real name, because, uh, you know, it's it's more about the characters in their, their current state than, than the, as you said. Uh, but I'm assuming there's probably a lot of pressure on you from fans to, to kind of delve into that in the sequel. Yes, which again is something that surprises me. I, I, I'm always, I'm constantly uh, caught off guard by the things that people want or don't want in the story, like the, the the suit and tie and and finding out R's name and things that questions I get over and over again. And I'm thinking like, why is that the important thing? It doesn't. It seems like kind of a, a minor issue to me. But but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not really listening to the suggestions that i get in you know youtube comments or something as to what i should put in the sequel uh, it it's everyone wants a different thing and some of them are are really dumb ideas so <laughs> i'm uh i'm just gonna i'm just writing the story that i'm coming up with and and i think i don't know it'll be a, it'll be a an interesting experience for a lot of reasons because for one thing uh the sequel is going to be a different in, in some ways, not not so much different, but but more um, more complex, a little a little darker, a little more real, I guess, in some ways, um, less less of a less of a romp through through genre tropes, that, and more of like a a genuine story. So, I'm hoping people are willing to 
to come along for that and like you know not have to be winking at it in order to to, to digest a story like that like to be able to take it as a, a serious thing um, which you know the first one does to some extent but it also has a lot of winks in it and um, so on, in that respect it'll be interesting to see if I can sort of write a, a sequel that's not just episode two of, of Warm Bodies, but like a, a, an, its own book that is um, not a standalone story by any means, but but an evolution off of what, what started with that book instead of just more of the same. And then also just the, the contrast between the books and what people know about it from the movie, which is already somewhat stark between this book and this movie it's going to be even more stark between the sequel and that movie so i think some of the you know 12 year olds who love the movie and come to this book might be a little surprised by what they find but so and i'm, I'm gonna, excited to see what happens i'm gonna say that's got to be the tough part though is is you want to write the sequel to the book and not write a second book exactly. off of what's in the movie right and which wouldn't even be possible because you know the, the story diverges somewhat but uh, I'm. It, what'll be even more interesting is to see what happens if they do decide that they want to uh, adapt the sequel to a movie, because there's you know some some choices they made in the movie that are going to make it harder to con- reconnect to where the story is going. So I don't know. There's a lot of kind of multiple layers of of fictional reality going on in all these different pieces, and and then even just sort of in the the public perception of it, which is pretty pretty uh at odds with what is actually going on in the book i found so it'll be interesting to see if it all comes together i i can't really control that so i'm just gonna go onwards and see what happens and, and of course as you said uh you know you're looking forward to to also branching out and and working on some of your other writing as well and and i know that you've referenced online that you kind of have various stages of, of multiple things uh, in the works, too. I mean, what, what, what are some of these other uh, ideas that, that you're, you're working on? Well, first of all, before, um, before the, this, I don't know, it's not the, I don't know if it's the Warm Bodies series or, or whatever you want to call it, but <laughs> uh, I have I, just finished a, a, a novella that is sort of a prequel to Warm Bodies, and, and uh, that is actually going to be coming out in ebook form in, later this month. But um, so that's what I've been working on, and I'm about to start writing a sequel. And then after that, yeah, I have about four four uh, ideas for for other novels that some of them I've started writing a little bit. Some of them are just ideas, but uh, they're all you know completely different from from this and from each other. They're uh, all pretty pretty strange and hard to describe so far until I until I get more uh, more developed into them but but I'm I'm definitely excited to it's not that I'm I'm tired of of this this story or this this world I I'm I'm really excited to dive back into it after um seeing kind of the community that's grown up around the first book and all the interactions I've had with with readers it it gets me really excited to go back into that that world and and develop it further but when it's all done I I could see myself taking a break for a while and purging my mind of any thoughts of zombies and then kind of going in, in some very different directions, which is will be exciting. Well, I, I can say, and I, I was reading over your Facebook page and, and uh, seeing uh, some of your tweets as well, and 
you talk about the fan base for the book, and, and it definitely is a, a very rabid fan base for it. And it, it's funny because you're very accessible uh, to everybody online. So if people want to get in touch with you, you know, you seem to, to, to respond to them and respond to them, uh, you know, no different than any other uh, friend they might have on social media. But what was uh, cracking me up about it is, you know, they're these same people that are like, you know, how come, you know, please respond to me, respond to me, respond to me, are the same people that are like, well, what's taking you so long to write the sequel? Well, because you keep asking him questions exactly. online. I need it. That's a, that's a good point. I'll start telling him that. Yeah, be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm disconnecting. I'm, I'm writing. So It's uh, funny because there's two different camps there. There's people who write me and say, I'm sure you're way too busy to ever even read this, and I won't expect a reply, but I just wanted to say blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then there's people that are like, please answer me. Why aren't you answering me? So, yeah, why aren't you on Facebook all day, every day yeah. like I am? And it, the reality is somewhere in between there. I mean, I, I, I get moments here and there to kind of go back through everything and, and answer a lot of it at once, and, but then there'll be long stretches where I, where I can't. Well, I'll say one thing that'll, uh, that has, has my wheels turning is uh, I'm, a, I'm a sports writer, like I said, and when I'm in uh, the stadium now, I, I look around, I'm like, okay, so if we had to live here, you know, here's where we would put this and here's where we would put that. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, it's got me thinking floor plan if this ever does happen. Yeah. Yeah, I put a lot of thought in, into figuring out the, the feasibility of that. I mean, I did describe it as being a, a bigger stadium than, than we know of now. Because it, it does, it's not like sci-fi by any means, but it takes place at some indefinite point in the future. So I was able to take a few liberties with architecture, make it a little bigger than, than it realistically would be by today's standards. Sure. And, and, of course, you're from Seattle, so you're used to the kingdom, not like uh, yeah. out here where we've got the smaller parks and stadiums. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I have to say, you know, when when I first heard about this story, uh, you know, last year uh, when you, when you were coming on the program, my my eyebrows were raised a little bit. But when I read the book, I I love the story, and uh, I love the characters, and I'm I'm looking forward to going and seeing the film. Is it February first that it comes out? Yeah. So uh, people can can start getting in line now, just like you did for Breaking <laughs> Dawn Part Two. <laughs> that was Isaac and I out in line. We were the first ones dressed as uh, whatever their names are. I don't even know. Edward and Bella, is it right? Oh, yeah. Uh, see, you knew. All right. Well, thank you. So, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we definitely look forward to uh, the sequel. Now, you said the prequel is is, is done. The, the, that's coming out soon as an ebook. Yeah, it's going to be an ebook first, just trying to rush it in, in, to get it in time for the movie. But then hopefully a print edition will come later. But. All right. So it should be out in the next few weeks then. Yeah, the plan is um, 28th to come out in ebook form. Excellent. Do they have a price point on it already? or? I don't know about price. I think I actually get to set the price, but we'll have, that's the business discussion for later. All right, so people can just pay attention to your website, uh, to your blog, uh, to your Twitter, and you'll have all the information up there uh, when it comes yeah, out. Definitely. All right, thank you so much for joining us. Isaac Marion, author of Warm Bodies, and we promise we will not refer to you as the zombie guy. <laughs> thank you. All right, have a great night. All right, you too. Bye-bye. So uh, I have to say that I'm, I'm always fascinated as as a writer myself, and I use that in the in the you know the most technical sense of the word because I'm not a creative guy like like Isaac is, but I'm always fascinated the process uh, of uh, creating the characters and coming up with the story and telling the story, and then giving that away almost when you put it in somebody else's hands to make it into a movie. So. Uh, you know that's why I wanted to kind of ask those type of questions. And Matt, you weren't here. Uh, I don't. Were you here when we had the writers on for um, uh, that movie uh, about the Dybbuk box? Were you here when we uh, did no, that? No, I wasn't. Because that was a, a similar 
line of questioning that I had for them about the about that process. And they'd actually written uh, an updated version of Poltergeist that uh, is supposedly being made at some point, but I, I still haven't heard about that. That's one that I really want to question them about when that comes out. So, which, what, what do you think of the idea of of telling a zombie story from a zombie perspective? I think it's uh, an in- interesting angle, at least. I mean, you, it's not explored very often. I mean, like he said, uh, like Isaac said, it's it's kind of used as just kind of like an object in a movie to discuss the different characters and their interaction. It's just kind of like some right, sort mean, of threat instead of uh, like protagonist, antagonist type thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to go so far as to call it like a literary device, but it does allow for, you know, reflection mm-hmm. and it does allow for introspection. And, and I have to say for, for a guy who supposedly was dead, the character of R probably had more humanity than, than most people that you'll read about in yeah. in many books. So it's, it's it's definitely worth checking out. And it's not often that I uh, that I get the chance to read fiction anymore uh, because I'm always reading books for the show and they always tend to be nonfiction. So I, I do love the chance when I can get into uh, a different world and a different perspective. So uh, that that's why, you know, I, I when I read the book, I tried to pull myself out of, you know, yeah. I don't want to say disproving or proving, but, you, you know, you usually didn't wanna, you didn't want to pick it apart. Right. Normally I'm looking you know. for like factual uh, information out of these books, so You're I'm like, like this can't well, be zombies, they're... right? This doesn't fit. Zombies don't think. Yeah, this is, uh, when I read zombies by you know Dr. Bob Curran, it didn't say anything about zombies wearing ties. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so you have to, well, and that's it's freeing to be able to get your mindset out of that, and, and to be able to just kind of experience the characters as the story is being told. So, what what was the last book you read? Have you have you had a chance to read anything? Um, I've actually been tra- catching up on my graphic novels. Really? Yes. Well, I, I just caught up on uh, The Walking Dead, which is... I'm on, like, the third it kinda, issue. It kind of ruined, like, the series. For the show? Me. Yeah. Because yeah. now, now, now that I watch the show, I'm like, the show doesn't really... Well, that's the point, sense. is they, they, they don't want the show to well, follow there's, there's along certain, the comic books. Yeah, I, 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 know, I know what they're doing, but there's, like, certain things that I'm just like, I don't know. So you, it, have you become one of these... They don't make sense a little bit. Have you become one of these people that are, like, comic book purists? Um... No, because I still still enjoy the show. So I don't know how I feel about the show. Yeah, you, see, you weren't here uh, last last May, I think it was. We did a show about the show, about The Walking Dead. Yep. And my wife and son were here. That's All I'm saying is they better cut off Rick's arm. <laughs> they have to. <laughs> That's the, the, it's the, a thing. They have to cut his arm off. But you have to look and see, like, <laughs> what's the possi- What's the plausibility? Uh, I mean, there's a reason why there was no... They, in the comic, they cut everybody's arm off. They can cut Rick's arm off in the show. There's no Evil Dead TV <laughs> show because they didn't want to keep putting a chainsaw on yeah, Ash's yeah. arm every week. So, But <laughs> well, when when we had my wife and son in here, my son infamously you know, yeah. said uh, an inappropriate word on the air, which was awesome. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I wanted to make it my text message sound. <laughs> but when we were talking about that, you know, I, I had a lot of criticisms for the show. And now I've lightened up on it a little bit. I think mm-hmm. this past season has kind of changed my mind because, thank God, they got off the boring farm. <laughs> but, I mean, at, at least now, you know, we're starting to see the bigger picture uh, of what yeah. it all means. Right. And I, I like the fact that it's taking kind of a twist toward, you know, that post-apocalyptic society in the vein of the stand, you know, more so than just being about let's sit on this farm and pick off the zombies as they come one by one. Yeah, yeah. 
because I have to say, you, you can say whatever you want about the comic book, and there's also, uh, and this is a whole nother rant for a whole nother night, but with you know the tablet and my phone and everything, and I can go back and read old comic books, there's a big difference between what qualifies as a good comic now and what did in the past. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. now there's too much of that indie feel to comic books where you can have you know four pages of nothing but panels where it's slow moving action and there's no development uh to the character so but even so you want to say that i think the characters uh on the tv show were people that i didn't necessarily like or care about yeah yeah i could say that too you know and and there's <laughs> i have to say myself that it was probably this season before i knew all of their names actually yeah. no that's not true i don't know all their names i don't know the name of that blonde girl that i think is herschel's daughter the the one the one that's making goo goo eyes at uh, at the kid that always disappears. His oh, name I know I just can't think oh, of it right I, now. I, I, um, no, not Andrea, is it? No, no, no. The kid, the kid that always disappears. Rick's son. What's, what's his that? name? Oh, uh, Carl. I can't, uh, yeah, Carl. I was just blanking on his name. Yeah. I know that because my wife and I constantly make you know jokes yeah. about Carl. I get, sometimes I get the uh, the the I, I want to say novel, but the comic book. It's a comic book. It is. It's a comic book. <laughs> the comic book and the show confused because it's well, one on, and the same. On, on the show, you know, I've, I think it's Herschel's daughter, the blonde girl there. Yeah. The, the one that's like 17, 18. She's making yeah, goo-goo yeah. eyes at Carl, who's like 12. Yeah. Is she Is she that old? That's, uh, she looks that way to me. Yeah. I'm just getting a very, if we want to get really nerdy, I'm getting a very oh. Queen Amidala, you know, Anakin Skywalker vibe from them. Well, you said you didn't read the. I haven't novel. made it that far yet. All but. Right. Well, they they kind of have a thing between Carl and Sophia, but Sophia's dead. Right. So that's not well. So which was was like yeah. what, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> See, that's <It's>, what happens. <laughs> well, the uh, w- one of the things that I I find interesting about uh, the show is how fired up people get about it, uh, and and how much they. You, you know they they have like Chris, okay, our our, our yep. show's content director Chris Balzano. You know I I can't text him during The Walking Dead because <laughs> he's watching the show, and I'm like, dude, what you watch live TV? Yeah, doesn't does can he just pause it? Don't you know that this no. is like 2013 now? We don't do that. You know I don't even watch football games live if I'm watching them from home <laughs> uh, because you know without that 30 second skip, you have to wait for things, and we don't wait for things anymore in this world. But uh, we don't have to. Yeah, that's where we've gotten to as a society. Oh, but I think that uh, the the way that people view it, though, is like they, they don't want to miss a single minute of it. And there's been maybe four or five TV shows in the last 10 years that I can think people felt that way about. And when I'm looking at Lost, when I'm looking at The Sopranos, when I'm looking at shows like that, I just don't yeah. know if Walking Dead fits. I don't, I don't know if it's as epic as everybody it seems it may, makes it seem, and I. I can, you, even, can you hit me up with the chat room on the monitor while we're talking about this? Because I want to see. I'm sure there's a backlash against me right I don't now. Even, for, uh, I don't even really want to say the word epic, because I don't like when people use that. Right. But aside from that, um, I forgot what we were talking about. Few shows are epic. Yeah. Um, the The Walking Dead kind of it starts out really good. Oh, this is like every episode it starts out really good, then nothing really happens. <laughs> right. Nothing really happens. And then, like, something cool happens at the end and gets you to watch the, the next, next week. 
or get you to watch Talking Dead so you can see that couple yeah. of minutes of footage from the no, I, I, I haven't seen any Talking Dead. Yeah, I don't. I, my wife watches it yeah. and and she enjoys it. I mean, Chris Hardwick's good in that role. Is he? But he's good in something. Yeah, well, he's good. he's good in that role. But to watch a bunch of people sit around and like pick apart this episode of of a TV show, like it's one thing if you and I are going to do that kind of you know when we were working together and we might tear yeah, apart yeah. an episode of Lost at, at the gathering at the water cooler. Yeah, if you would. Yeah, that's 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 fine. But you know, I, I just don't see the need to have a national audience sit there and pick apart a show together and to ask you know celebrities, hey, come and watch this with us and then pick it. I don't know. Yeah. But what do I know? You know, I'm sitting here doing a show that five people are listening to while they're making, mm. you know, oh, tons yeah, of TV This is a random thought, but do you remember on uh, that Lost, talking about Lost thing, and just Marilyn Manson showed up? And Ma- what? Do you remember? I just had that random thought. Remember? Talking about he Lost? Was, yeah. You remember the uh, the talking on that, um, when they used to talk about the uh, Lost? They had that little, like, talk show or whatever. They did? Yeah, at at the I think it was the end of the last episode, and then Marilyn Manson was in the audience. audience. Oh, he, really? he had that portrait of uh, Locke <laughs> that he gave him. That was weird. It just it just popped <laughs> it just in my popped head. In your head. So you're expecting that when they finally have the last so, episode of The Walking Dead, he'll be it's there. Probably going to be like somebody like Rob Zombie or something. I don't right. Know. It's probably that would be fitting. Somebody weird. James Franco is going to come out with his <laughs> pillow puppet. <laughs> By the way, I still, I still, uh, I still insist that James Franco is that guy on the commercials with the bald head that's like promoting the products. I s- swear to God, that's Franco. Oh yeah. But anyway, yeah. all right. Well, we got about five minutes left here in the program, and I, I do want to let everybody know that uh, we're having another Legend Trips event. I don't know if you want to make it to this one because you have made I it to try. like the last. Like, I heard this. Years been, there might be a second night uh, of or Lizzie Borden. The Lizzie Borden. One. We're, we're, which I'm going to try to go to. We're talking about that. Uh, the one on the 23rd, Saturday, yes. February 23rd, is sold out. Yep. Uh, so we were listening to some of our uh, regular attendees who couldn't make it that night, and they were suggesting the idea of putting a, a second night on. And there was some other people who were like, yeah, if he did in the second night, I'd, I'd go. So if we can get enough, entry, we need it like for the next couple of days. Like you got to let me know, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com or hit me up on Facebook and and – let me know if you would be interested in buying a $135 ticket to come to Dead of Winter on February 22nd if we open that night up. Because I checked. We can do it. So if we have enough interest, we will. But we only have about a month excuse me, to sell out that entire event. So uh, Because if we, if we don't sell it out, then it's not really fair to the house to, to kind of turn it over to us for the night. Uh, so we have to make sure that we can sell it out. So if you'd be interested, just let me know, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, or uh, hit me up on Facebook and let me know that you would definitely be interested in buying a ticket for Friday, February 22nd, and if there's enough interest, we'll do it. But I'm hoping you can come out with us to the Houghton Mansion uh, yeah. in April, April 5th through the 7th. That's going to be a great event because I'm thinking we're going out there Friday night. Yep. We're going to have it's a, a f- whole weekend. Right? right. We're going to have a Friday night meet and greet. Where we can just get trashed if we want <laughs> because we're going to be in the hotel yeah. or across the street from Might the hotel. Might as well take the first night and just relax. Yeah, have fun. We'll party with some of our, our paranormal yeah, friends that will be out there with us. High spirits. Exactly. And then Saturday morning, we can wake up. We're right there at the base of Mount Greylock, the tallest peak in Massachusetts. Maybe we take a hike. Maybe yeah. we go see some of the other haunted sites around there. There's some that you can't access publicly. Uh, that Is that all on the... On on the Holton Mansion property, 
Uh, no, there's it's within like a 25 minute drive of the mansion. But you know, we'd have all day Saturday morning and afternoon. Uh, There's a certain tunnel that's out there that's rumored to be very haunted. That I don't want to promote on the air because because uh, it's you can't legally go into it. But uh, I might want to at least go to it and see it. Uh, I don't want to encourage anybody trying to get into it, but I would at least like to to be there and say that I've seen it. And uh, there, there's going to be, you know, some interesting opportunities to do some cool stuff. Uh, and I can just imagine what it would be like having, you know, uh, continental breakfast together like we did after the Slater Mill event where everybody's kind of just sitting there bleary-eyed but talking about all the stuff that yeah. happened. So it's going to be an entire weekend. And it's only $149 for a ticket to the event. That's good. That's that gets you into the meet and greet. That gets you into the, the night's investigation on Saturday with, with dinner included Saturday. Yeah. That's only 50 bucks a day, right? Really? Yeah. So, uh, and we're working on securing a hotel deal up there because we know that everybody's going to be coming from down this way. So uh, we will have for sure uh, some sort of hotel deal. We're just working out the particulars now. Uh, it may be because it's it's still kind of ski season at that point, and there's still a lot of people up there. It may be that we have to spread people out over a couple of different areas if necessary. But I'm I'm working on trying to avoid that and keeping everybody together as best I can. So. Hopefully uh, you can join us for that, yeah. but if if not, you know we'll we'll send you back uh, some dirt from the top of Mount Greyluck or something. <laughs> I'm just gonna yeah. uh, try to load load up the switch over here. Oh, okay. This is this is what we do every week. No, I forgot to do oh, it okay. while we were talking. <laughs> so uh, we'll see what happens because I, I I really need this to go off on its own. It's one of these babies. One of these babies. Yeah, so it could be ready. All right. Well, we will <laughs> we will be back next week. As I said, it may it's it's kind of uh, uh, up in the air about what we're going to do. We may be doing a very hard hitting topic uh, if if things work out and shake out that way. But if not, it's going to be our seventh anniversary either way. So we will definitely have some sort of recognition of that. We want to have some of our favorite spooky South Coast memories. So hit me up online, Twitter, Facebook, email spooky crew at spooky South Coast dot com. Share with us some of your favorite spooky South Coast memories. And, of course, uh, you can call in as well uh, next week if, if we take calls on the air about it. Because I, I really want to know what people think of the last seven years because Ooh, you really? it's motivation for the next seven. Oh, okay. Otherwise, who knows? We might not be here that long. And what we need is we need a good two-hour show where we can have a lot of people praise what we do. And then we can give it to station management and see, see, they like us. They really like us. <laughs> all right, so we will be back next week for all that. Uh, I'm assuming that Moniz will be back too as well. So we'll have the gang all here, and uh, if if you can make it, Matt, and uh, hopefully you will be here as well. Remember, if you want to catch up with any old episodes of the show, just go to iTunes or anywhere you can find a podcast. Until next week, we want you all to stay spooktacular. <laughs>